Judges chapter 15. Uh, don't forget to be back in church tonight. Uh, we are sort of in a God-ordained missions mode in our church. Uh, every now and then the Lord does that. And uh, he just, uh, missionaries just call us. And many times there are people that we support. And they're going to be in our area. Nobody comes to New England by accident. We're sort of one of those extremities. And uh, so we are being blessed tonight. Uh, we have uh, Jean-Philippe Fillon coming from Canada. And uh, they are leaving as soon as their morning service ends there. I believe they're an hour ahead of us uh, time-wise. And then they're headed down this way. Um, he's not here on deputation. He's not here seeking to raise support. They are headed to Florida uh, for a brief furlough slash vacation. And uh, so they're going to stop here. Uh, we'll get to see what, what God's done there. I met uh, Brother Filion uh, and his wife several years ago at a conference in Rhode Island. And very impressed with this young man. Tried to get him here. And uh, so I talked to him at the conference, said, can, can we get you signed up to come? And he said, we're at 100% support. We're leaving in two weeks to go to go to the town God's called us to to start a church. So uh, I'm excited for you to meet them and uh, to hear he's got that great French accent uh, on top of things. So you'll want to be back and be a part of the service tonight. This last Friday evening, I got a text uh, from missionary Sarah Vong, who is a missionary to Cambodia. And uh, it was Friday night, it was late, he said, Pastor Bish, I know this is really uh, last minute, but my oldest son and I are in a conference not far from you. Would it be all right for us to stop by this coming Wednesday night and uh, just give a report to the church? And, and uh, of course, I, I said yes uh, to that. Uh, we've been supporting them for a number of years. So that's this Wednesday evening in the evening service, they'll be here. I'm, I'm taking a little time. Bear with me. Uh, yesterday, uh, after soul winning, uh, I went to get a haircut, and I get mine cut down here on Route 5, uh, a mile or so down the, the highway, and uh, there's like 15 to 18 barbers in there at any given time. Almost all of them are Spanish. Uh, most of them speak no English, so I don't talk to anybody because I can say, uh, hola, como esta, and, uh, you know, that's about it. They do understand English when I say how much, and they can always tell me, you know, that type of thing. Uh, but but uh, the owner there, I found, is, I found out is a born-again Christian. Uh, he, he goes to my gym, and we worked out next to each other uh, last Saturday. I got away from him as quickly as I could because he's a beast, and he made me look old. Um, I got a purpose for telling you about my haircut. I sat down yesterday. Uh, there was one barber chair open. I was a walk-in, so I didn't have an appointment. And uh, Javier just pointed me down to him, and he's waving at me. His name is Jason. He's not Spanish at all. He is Cambodian. And, uh, you know, we're just kind of chit-chatting. He said, you got big plans for the weekend. I said, well, you know, today I'm uh, finishing a few things up. I'm going to go to the gym later this afternoon and just rest uh, this evening. I said, tomorrow, uh, of course, Sunday is uh, uh, the Lord's Day, and I'm a pastor of a church, and so I'll, I'll be busy all day uh, doing that. He goes, oh, what church? And so I told him. He knows right where we are. And he said, I was raised Buddhist. He said, my family's from Cambodia. He said, but I, I, I listened to it, and, and uh, there, there's some good principles about living a clean life and, and all of that. But he said, I never took it too seriously. He said, but my best friend, and he pointed two chairs down, my best friend that I grew up with, 
has constantly been talking to me about the Lord and about being saved and all of that kind of stuff. He invited me to church, but I never went. I had no interest in it till a year ago. I was in a terrible car accident. And it scared me because I realized how close I came to death. And I realized Buddhism doesn't offer any hope or assurance for that. And I thought, let me see what my friend's church has to say. So he said, I went to church with my friend. There I heard the gospel and everything my friend said over those years and all, it just came together. He said, two months ago, I got saved. And uh, so we're just talking in the barbershop uh, and, and I'm sharing my testimony. He's sharing his, everybody around us can hear. I have no idea if they understood us or not, but we're talking about the Lord. So I got to tell him about Brother Vaughn coming Wednesday night. Uh, and uh, he's been back to Cambodia uh, on visits uh, uh, quite a bit because his mom and dad came from there uh, and so forth. Uh, so uh, I'm excited uh, that God's putting these missionary opportunities in front of us next Sunday morning in Sunday school. Uh, we'll have Brother Tim Laflamme with us. That is Kendra Clack's uh, brother. Uh, he is a missionary to the Philippines. So we're getting a mini missions conference coming by just to remind us God wants the gospel to go where? everywhere go into all the world and preach the gospel so some great opportunities uh please be here be a part of that ladies and then last thing and then we're going to get into the bible ladies uh outside these doors you'll see a a beautifully decorated table and uh, after the services today you can start signing up for ladies conference saturday november 4th it goes from 10 o'clock in the morning to about 4 in the afternoon. There's a great lunch served in between. Uh, and it's just a day set aside for ladies to be blessed and encouraged. We'll probably have somewhere between 300 and 350 ladies here that day. Um, so you can start signing up now. And uh, so please do that. And uh, if you have any questions on that, uh, Mrs. Clack will be out at that table and she'll be happy to help you with that. Did you find Judges 15 yet? I figure if I make enough announcements, talk long enough, we can get there. Um, as we work through the book of Judges, we are studying the life now of Samson. He's an enigma. He's a man that is very hard to figure out. He's a very flawed man. But we, we established this early on. Everybody that God has ever used has been a flawed person. Abraham was flawed, Moses was flawed, David was flawed. Um, the only one not is the Lord Jesus Christ, but he was all God as well as all man. Um, so, so we don't discount Samson's flaws and say, well, God should have set him on a shelf. God should have never touched him or used him because then God would have to set all of us on a shelf. Samson's a man of faith. We learned that from Hebrews 11. He is listed by name in the great faith chapter of the Bible. Uh, he was a man who trusted God in a day and age where almost no one in the nation of Israel did so. Israel had gone away from God. They had, they had been in captivity to what foreign power? The Philistines for about 40 years. Uh, the Philistines dwelt on the seacoast uh, and somewhat to the south of the nation. They were very warlike people. 
Um, they had multiple cities, each one with their own king, but there were times they would all join together to form a great army um, and they would invade or protect uh, their borders or invade other countries and so forth. Um, and so they're, they're plundering the land. Israel's in captivity. And in that dark time, God raises up this man, Samson. His birth was miraculous. An angel came to his mother who was barren. We're not sure her age, but, but she had gone years without being able to have a child. And the angel informed her that she was about to uh, have a little boy um, and uh, that, that this little boy was going to begin to deliver Israel from the Philistines. Uh, what was to be unique about her baby boy? He was to be a Nazarite from the womb. Meaning, uh, and we studied the Nazarite vow. We won't go back to number six or, or whatever to review that. Uh, mom wasn't allowed to touch any dead bodies, but she wasn't allowed any fruit of the vine. No grapes, no raisins, no juice, no wine, no strong drink, nothing whatsoever. Uh, when the baby was born, he was to continue that. Again, a Nazarite couldn't touch a dead body of any kind. Uh, what else could not a Nazarite do while they were under their vow? They could not cut their hair. Now, Samson was a Nazarite from birth, and it was supposed to be for his entire life. Most people who took on a Nazarite vow did so for brief periods, um, and, and there's no reason given why they did so. It might have been that, that uh, you know, they, they, they asked God, if you'll please help me with this, I will promise to serve as a Nazarite uh, for a month or a year or whatever. Um, and so they, they added that vow to it. Samson, that was to be his life story. He grew up different. He grew up different. Um, and uh, evidently his parents were, were godly. Manoah, his dad, requested that angel that appeared to uh, his wife and said, could you come back and show us how to teach this child? We want to know how to do this. And uh, so, so Samson had the privilege in an ungodly generation to be raised by God-fearing people. By the way, our children have the same privilege. If we are saved, they ought to be being raised by God-fearing parents in an ungodly generation. Amen? It does make a difference. It, it truly makes a difference. Samson grew up, and uh, we, we watched his first foray. Uh, he went down to Timnath, a city of the Philistines. The Bible says he saw a Philistine girl there, went back home to dad and said, I saw a girl, get her for me to wife. She pleaseth me well. Parents arranged marriages. It was all done that way uh, in, in this time. In some places of the world, it still is. Um, Samson's parents objected, said, why don't you find a, 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 a girl from the Israelite people? They had no idea that what Samson was doing was of the Lord. The Bible states that, um, that, that he was seeking an opportunity uh, against the Philistines. Uh, and, and I'm trying to review as quickly as I can. So they went down and, and arranged the marriage. Um, it, was, it was getting time for it. Um, none of Samson's people apparently would go with him. They were against this union with the hated Philistines. So the Philistines gave him how many companions, if you will, to be his groomsmen? Anybody remember? 30 of them. Big wedding party. Big wedding party. One of those 30 would, would serve as his, his uh, companion or best man. 
um, and, and so forth. On the way down for the, the big wedding and all of that, uh, something happened to Samson in a vineyard. He was all by himself and something happened. Anybody remember what it was? I'm hearing voices and it's, it's coming out as rhubarb, rhubarb. A lion attacked him. What did he do? He just ripped that thing apart. Uh, the spirit of the Lord came upon him. He ripped it apart, didn't tell mom or dad about it. A few days later, he came back, or sometime later, he came back. And like any young man who's killed an animal or something, he wants to come back and see what it looks like. There's something about gross stuff that young guys really get into. What did he find in the carcass of the lion? Honey. Um, there was a, the bees had, had put a hive in there and Samson reached in and took some of that honey out, went on his way eating, gave some to his mom and his dad. What was wrong with that? He wasn't supposed to touch a dead carcass. Now it doesn't seem like a big thing, but we see here that Samson is taking his Nazarite vow lightly. Um, and it's going to open the door. For him, why nothing, nothing bad happened to me because of that. In fact, right after that, he's going to have some victories. And so sometimes if we're not careful, we take the mercy of God and treat it as an excuse to sin. Well, God didn't strike me with light, uh, lightning, so it, it must be okay. No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. So Samson went on and uh, he just decided to have some fun with his groomsmen and he put a riddle out. And uh, we, we read about that. Look, if you went back to chapter 14, I'm going to get into the new stuff in a, more, in a moment here. He put forth a riddle, and, and here it is, verse 14. He said unto them, out of the eater came forth meat, and out of the strong came forth sweetness. Of course, he's talking about the lion and the honey that came out of its carcass. It was a riddle that nobody could solve. It wasn't like a mathematical puzzle that if you worked at it long enough, you could figure it out. There was no logic involved in it. There was no way they could get this. And the deal was, if you can't solve it in seven days, you owe me 30 shirts and 30 garments. In other words, you owe me 30 new suits and all, all that goes along with it. And um, it was going to be a matter, if the Philistines couldn't do this, they were going to be embarrassed. They were going to lose face in front of this Israelite. Their personal honor and stuff was so amazingly important to them that they would fight to the death over something like that. So they began to pressure his fiance, saying, get him to tell you the, 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 the answer to the riddle, and, and Samson wouldn't do it, and she started crying, and um, the nagging started. It went on day after day after day. Finally, on the last day of the, the feast, she wore him down, and he told her the answer, and she went back immediately and told them what it was, and they came up to him with the riddle. And he knew when they had the answer exactly where it came from because besides him, only his fiance knew about it. Um, and uh, he wasn't real happy about it. Uh, look, if you would, please, the end of verse um, 18. He said unto them, if you had not plowed with my heifer, <laughs> you had not found my riddle. He wasn't too happy with them, but he sure wasn't too happy with his fiance. He called her a heifer. Now, I can guarantee you, if Trina was still here and not in heaven, if I ever referred to her as a heifer, I wouldn't see her for probably two weeks. 
And after two weeks, this eye would start opening up just a little bit. Uh, she would, you know, if I called her kitten uh, or something like that, maybe she'd have been all right, but not heifer. He was mad. He stormed off uh, and so forth. And the father said, man, what are we going to do? Got a wedding here. So there's the best man. He gave uh, Samson's fiance to the best man. They got married. We learned in chapter 15, Samson cooled off, went back down and uh, wanted to sort of take up where he left off, finding out that uh, his fiance had been married off to somebody else. And now Samson had not only he felt been cheated on that riddle, but now he'd been cheated of this fiance. But remember, in the background, God had put something in his heart. Samson didn't know all the details of how it was going to turn out. Uh, but but uh, this is where the Philistines are going to get their first taste of what Samson was really all about. Um, when he found out he'd been cheated, uh, the Bible says he went, we looked at verse 4, uh, last week he took 300 foxes that he caught. We don't know if he had any help in this or took some time and did it himself. He uh, tied their tails together, which they could not have been terribly happy about. And in between those tails, what did he put? A firebrand, lit it on fire, and sent it out into their wheat fields. It was the time of the wheat harvest. Remember, the, the, the countries in those days that overthrew and put Israel in captivity, one of the things they always did is they plundered the food. When Israel would go to reap their crops, they'd come ahead and steal them. And the Israelites were kept in a state of starvation and hunger. Um, and their, their captives were reaping the rewards of that. So now it's, uh, it's the Philistines are getting a taste of their own medicine. And their fields are going up in flame. 150 fields and vineyards and olive yards go up in flame. They all know who did it. They all knew who did it, and so they come after Samson um, and so forth. And, and look, please, at verse 7. Samson said unto them, Though ye have done this yet, uh, though ye have done this, yet will I be avenged of you, and after that I will cease. And he smote them hip and thigh, hip and thigh with a great slaughter, and he went down and dwelled in the top of the rock, Etam. He's from the tribe of Dan. Etam is a, is a remote place in the tribe of Judah to the south of him. Um, he, just, he just beat him up, hip, hip and thigh. He just beat him up. There's no evidence that he had a weapon in his hand uh, and so forth. And uh, when he felt that he, they had paid enough, he just left and he, he went uh, just to recover some solitude in this rock. Edom, verse 9. Then the Philistines went up and pitched in Judah and spread themselves in Lehi. That was a, a city and a region uh, near this, this mountain, this rock called Edom. Later on, the Philistines would build a fortress there. And that fortress would be present when another Philistine named Goliath came out and was conquered by David many generations later. So the Philistines, the Bible says, spread themselves. We get the idea this isn't just one particular town anymore. The Philistine people are coming together. The men of Judah said... Why are you come up against us? They said, we're, we're paying our taxes. We're not doing anything. We're, we're, there's no uprisings here. They're living in servitude to the enemy in their own land. It's the judgment of God for turning away from the Lord. And uh, so they see the Philistines come and they're terrified. They're terrified. Uh, why are you here? What are you doing? And they answered to bind Samson, are we come up to do to him 
as he hath done to us. So this is where they hear about this man, Samson, of the tribe of Dan. He's in their territory. He has irritated and aroused the fury of the Philistines. And now they've invaded Judah in search of this guy, Samson, and they're terrified. Can I ask you a question here? These are God's people, correct? Yes or no? Yes. When they found out what Samson had done and how God had given one man such an enormous victory over so many Philistines at one time, what should they have done? They should have rallied behind him. Their history in the whole book of Judges is that, that even though God had to send him into captivity as judgment for their sin, God, God always raised up a judge to bring them back to God and then lead them to victory and freedom. They should have known their own history. They should have known that God was about to do something. They should have rallied behind Samson, but notice what they did. Verse 11, then 3,000 men of Judah went to the top of the rock Etam and said to Samson, we're here, we're at your disposal. We see God beginning to do something. We want to be a part of it. Yes or no? Rich, Rich I, I had to ask you before you told me I'm reading it wrong, Rich. I'm getting a little worried here. Notice this. Knowest thou that the Philistines are rulers over us? Who is supposed to be ruler over them? The Lord God. They said, knowest thou not that the Philistines are rulers over us? What is this? that thou hast done unto us. It's sad that the one that takes a stand for God is seen here, even by people that are supposed to be the people of God, he is seen as the troublemaker. Anytime you take a stand, oftentimes you'll find out that a lot of people aren't standing with you. They're, it's more comfortable to sit down. See, I stand all through a sermon, you get to sit there, and you think you're enduring because... The, the clock is back there, and I'm ignoring it. I understand that, but I'm standing. Um, th there have been times I, I've been in a service where the, we stand to read the scripture, and then the preacher uh, starts preaching his sermon, and we're all still standing. He hasn't even prayed yet. We're all still standing. And 15 minutes later, he prays, then he preaches a little bit more. He goes, oh, yeah, you all can sit down now. You know, and we're like, man, we need to sit down. We need to sit down. We forget he's going to stand the whole time. There's something about standing, listen carefully, that makes you stand out. These people should have stood with him, but they're not about to do that. Um, uh, they ask him, what, what are you doing? He said unto them, verse 11, as they did unto me, so have I done unto them. Samson sought his revenge, um, and, and uh, he, he's, God's given him a victory there, and they, these are the men of Judah, said unto him, we are come down to bind thee, that we may deliver thee into the hand of the Philistines. Here's the man that from birth, God had established him to deliver those very same people from bondage caused by the Philistines. They're gonna hand him back over and say, we want the Philistines to get rid of this guy. We would rather just stay with the status quo than to stand for God and do what it takes to see our nation free and to be, to be right with God. And if, if you will, Samson's being betrayed by his own people. The people that have stood, should have stood with him. Again, we know the man's flawed. 
But he has, he has a purpose from God, and uh, they're, they're not about to do that. Samson said unto them, swear unto me that ye will not fall upon me yourselves. Promise me. Promise me you're not going to attack me. Why is he asking that? Why is he making them promise him that? He doesn't want to hurt his own people. They're not being right with him, but he wants to be right with them. Um, they want to hurt him, but he does not want to hurt them. And so he makes them promise. They spake unto him saying, no, we're, we're not going to do that, but we will bind thee fast and deliver thee into their hand, but surely we will not kill thee. So they're, they're assuring him of safe passage, but they're going to tie him up. They brought, uh, and they bound him with two new cords. They must have gone down to Ace Hardware, got some new rope, and brought him up from the rock. So uh, probably his, his hands may have been bound behind him. Sometimes they bound a captive's hands in front of them, dragged him behind another animal. Uh, so, you know, like a horse, a mule, something like that. Um, we don't know if they bound his feet uh, from this particular verse and so forth. And so uh, they're, they're taking him uh, from this, this high vantage place down the mountain out to where the Philistines are camped. Verse 14, when he came unto Levi, the Philistines shouted against him. They're seeing their enemy and they're, they're probably pounding on their armor and their shields. They're shouting and so forth. In ancient times, uh, even in medieval times, that's how uh, many wars were fought in the Civil War. Um, th there was the Confederate cry. How many have ever read about that in your history book? Um, and it, it was something that is said that was so loud because sometimes these armies in the Civil War were, were 20 and 30,000 men strong. And that Confederate battle cry was very shrill. And you got 30,000 voices lifting up that sometimes the cry itself put utter fear into the heart of the northern armies. And there were actually northern soldiers that, that defected. They went AWOL just hearing the sound of it. It was, a, it was an overwhelming thing. So the Philistines are doing that because they think that they, are, they have the upper hand against Samson. Um, and notice verse 14. And the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. Remember this phrase about the spirit of the Lord coming on Samson is said of him with all of his flaws, more than any other person in the Bible. The Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and the cords that were upon his arms became as flax that was burnt with fire. Not just flax, flax that had been partly burned, so it was ready to crumble. So the, the, the Jewish people... Uh, have bound him with brand new cords. The spear of the Lord comes on him and those, those uh, cords become nothing and the bands were loose from off his hands. He just went like this. Um, I'm sure the men of Judah were surprised, you know, about that. And I'm sure the Philistines, are, they're out there shouting and so forth. And I think their shout might've turned into a great big giant, very loud, uh-oh. This guy that tied foxes together and burnt their fields. This is the guy that smote a bunch of them hip and thigh in a slaughter. I mean, he just beat the living daylights out of them uh, and, and so forth. Um, and so, uh, you know, they're, they're not happy about this. And then here's where the story takes an unusual turn. And he found 
a new jawbone of an ass and put forth his hand and took it and slew a thousand men therewith. The Spirit of God is on him mightily. This one man, by the way, in the presence of the men of Judah who, who turned him in, the cowards that would not stand with him, he, he slays 1,000 Philistine soldiers. That's, that's a pretty impressive miracle, isn't it? That one man could do all of that. Um, but here's the, the part that uh, always, every time I've read through it, it, it makes me go, hmm, makes me think. The weapon that he used, he found a new jawbone of an ass. He found apparently somewhere around where they had stopped, there was, there was a, a mule that had died. It says new. So it's a carcass, partly decomposed, we're assuming, uh, because the jawbone is displayed. And that's what he found. And uh, the Bible says he took it. So he goes down to this dead carcass and he picks up this jawbone of an ass. It's got the teeth and all that kind of stuff. It would have been a pretty big, pretty strong bone. What makes us go, hmm? It's a dead body. Is he supposed to touch a dead body? You understand he's gone from taking honey out of the carcass of a lion and now all of a sudden he's taking the jawbone of an ass, using it as a weapon. We can say, well, there were no other weapons around. We don't know that. We don't know that there was nothing else. There could have been, a, there could have been stones. There could have been branches. Uh, you know, uh, he, was, he was in captivity from the 3,000 men of Judah. He could have grabbed one of their weapons, uh, but he grabbed the jawbone of an ass. So it, it, in one aspect, we see this amazing miracle that Samson, under the power of the Holy Spirit, is using the jawbone of an, ass, of an ass and he's out there swinging for all he's worth and 1,000 Philistines go down. They're dead. They're not just hurt. They're dead from this thing. Um, that's a lot of battle for one man to do. It's a lot of people. A 1,000 is a lot of people and this was done by the Spirit of God. He didn't have a nuclear bomb. He didn't have a machine gun. He didn't even have a sword. He didn't have anything compared to the weaponry of his enemies, the Philistines. Um, and so with just such a crude tool, God wrought a great victory. The men of Judah are watching this. There's no evidence whatsoever that when they saw this happening that they joined in to help out. Um, they're, they're still just letting him fight their battles, but they don't want to get their hands dirty. They're glad somebody's going soul winning just as long as it doesn't have to be them. They're glad somebody's running a bus route as long as they don't have to go out and do that. They're glad that somebody uh, is going to clean the church as long as it doesn't inconvenience them. You know how, how our minds sometimes get into that mode. They're at this point watching Samson fight their battle in essence, as well as his own, and they do nothing to help. Verse 16, and Samson said, with the jawbone of an ass, heaps upon heaps, with the jaw of an ass, have I slain a thousand men. I'm wondering in my mind if he's keeping track, he's keeping score. Well, there's one, there's two. 
you know, we live in this day and age where everybody gets a participation trophy and they don't keep score. Uh, if my kids were involved in a game like that, I guarantee you I'd be keeping score. I'd be keeping score. I might not say it out loud, but I would know. I would, I would keep scoring. Samson knows a thousand men have, have, have gone down. It came to pass, verse 17, when he had made an end of speaking, that he cast away the jawbone out of his hand and called that place Ramoth Lehi. So he uh, saw the carnage around him um, and uh, he, he just kind of dropped that jawbone right where he was. And he gave a name to the place Ramoth Lehi. I don't know if you write things in the margin of your Bible, but in, in the Old Testament, especially names uh, were very, very important. They, they had meaning. The name Ramoth Lehi means the lifting up of a jawbone. The lifting up of a jawbone. That place was gonna be for Samson a reminder that with the most crude of instruments, God wrought a great victory. Uh, you do understand God can use the strong and the mighty and the talented and, and so forth, but he's not limited to that. God can use the small and the obsolete to accomplish his will. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians, he said, not many mighty and not many noble are called. That God's chosen the things that are base and the things that are small, the things that are poor, and with those, God does it. Because you see, God tends to get all the glory that way. Remember, we talked about Samson. The world and in, in their depictions of this guy always show him as some Adonis with these massive bulging muscles all over the place, and he's, he, he's head and shoulders taller than everybody and so forth. But I don't believe that was true. And I, I do believe the Bible backs it up because the Philistines had no idea what made him so strong. That's why when in the next chapter, we'll eventually get to that, uh, they're gonna, he, he marries another Philistine woman and uh, the Philistines bribe her to find out the secret of his strength because by looking, they have no idea why this guy does what he does. So it, it's all of God and, and Samson wisely marks that place it is a testament not to himself it is a testament to God because Samson knows wasn't my strength that did this it was God's verse 18 and he was sore athirst and called on the Lord and said thou hast given this great deliverance under the hand of thy servant and now shall I die for thirst and fall into the hand of the uncircumcised I'm gonna guess killing a thousand men like that would make you thirsty. If you've ever been to that part of the world in the Middle East, in the daytime, temperatures can get up to 104 to 120 degrees, depending on the season of the year and the exact location. Um, and so he's sore of thirst. And uh, he's at that place where uh, if he doesn't get something to drink, um, his enemies are going to regroup and come get him, and he has no strength left. One of the things I've learned working with the trainer is you got to stay hydrated during a workout because if you don't, your strength is going to be gone from you just like that um, and so forth. And so he, he prays about that, verse 19. But God clave in hollow place that was in the jaw, and there came water thereout. When he had drunk his, drunk, his spirit came again, and he revived. Wherefore, he called the name thereof En-Hakore, 
which is in Lehi unto this day. If you're writing the margins of your Bible, that name means the well of him who cried. Now, God could have made that water come from anywhere. God could have sent a, sent a, a great rain to create puddles and pools of water. In the past, in Israel's history, God brought water out of a rock. Um, miraculous ways that God provided. In this case, God used that same jawbone of an ass and brought water out of it. Remember, it's a new one. When Samson picked it up, it was still partly attached to the carcass. Might have had stringy stuff hanging from it. It was probably gross. It was probably smelly. Now he's killed a thousand Philistines with it. You understand how disgusting that jawbone had to have been. It's covered in gore and muck and hair. Am I grossing you out bad enough? And he's just cast it down. He's prayed for it. When God chose to give him water, God brought it out of that jawbone. Again, it's a miracle of God. It's a miracle of God. But at the same time, it causes me to step back and think, Samson chose to use something unclean, something that, that a Nazarite should never touch as his weapon of choice. Now he's, he's thirsty and God's sort of giving him a taste of his own medicine. Water's coming out of that. Have you ever gone to a restaurant and they set your water glass down and it's got crust on it? How many has that ever happened to? How many drink out of it anyhow? No, you send that thing back and think, well, I probably ought to get my, my meal for free now. Um, you know, they, they tell us when, at the water fountain not to put your mouth on that little nozzle. Sometimes I've been in places uh, like gas stations and stuff, and you walk in and they have a water fountain. You look at it and thought, I'm not, not only putting my mouth on there. I'm not doing that. I'm not even drinking that water. I'd just rather be thirsty because that looks like disease, you know, in an arcing flow. Samson's getting his thirst assuaged, if you will, but it's coming out of that which is unclean. To me, this is, this is my thought. It's a reminder from God saying, Samson, did you forget who you are? Samson, I'm, I'm, I'm a great God and I gave a victory to you and I understand that you're flawed, but this is the second time. You've defiled your Nazarite vow. And the water that I'm going to give you is going to refresh you. But would you understand where it came from? Would you understand I'm trying to talk to you about something? The Lord does that with us from time to time. We, we go our own way and things aren't turning out badly. And so we figure out maybe we're okay with that. God has, this, has a way sometimes, though, of making us sort of reflect on that. That it's, that it's not as hunky-dory with God as we think it is. We need to stop there. I've gone a couple minutes.